Let's wait time together this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to John chapter 1. We're going to bring this Advent focus and series to a close this morning. We're going to continue on here in John chapter 1. We'll read through that passage in just a minute, but here's kind of the direction we're going this morning into the year where I want your minds to kind of begin to think through as we walk through John 1 here in just a minute, but here's the question for you is, Going into a brand new year, going into 2022, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties like always, where is your hope? Where is your hope? So we all know when you come to the end of the year, that word is going to be thrown out a lot. That word's going to be used a lot going into a new year. You're going to hear commercials. You're going to see different things calling or promising a certain kind of hope or you can find your hope here. You're going to hear that word a lot over the next few days and weeks. Hope is a word that we think a lot about coming to the end of a year, going into a new year. So this morning, where's your hope going into a brand new year? See, hope is, Paul David Tripp says it this way, he says, because we are created in God's image, we are hardwired for hope. We're created that way as image bearers. So even this morning, you're sitting here and many of you are hoping going into a brand new year. Some of you are hoping that it's going to be a very different year than 2021. Some of you are hoping for a healthy marriage. Some of you are hoping for marriage. Maybe some of you are hoping for a date. I don't know, wherever you are. You're all hoping for different things. You're hoping for business success. Maybe you're hoping for health. Coming out of the last couple of years, I think a lot of us would hope and pray for health. Maybe you're hoping for something involving your children, involving your work. Whatever it is, many of you are holding on or you're longing for a hope going into the brand new year. Here's the reality that's true of all of us. Our view of the future is directly determined by the object of our hope. Let me say that again. The way you see the future next month, next year, your perspective on the future is directly determined by the object of your hope. Where's your hope? Where's your hope set this morning? What is your hope set on? What are you longing for Right now, now as we open up to John 1, I, one thing I want us to see from the scripture, as with so many things, there's a cultural understanding of this idea of hope, and then there's a scriptural understanding when we use the idea, or use the word hope. Cultural ideas, we can get some help from Webster, Webster's Dictionary says this, hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation. It is to want something to happen or to be true. So the cultural understanding and the way we use the word hope a lot is the idea of expectation, uh, uncertainty. It's something we really want to happen, but we're just not sure. That's kind of the cultural idea of hope. Uncertain, unsure, maybe. Majority of the time when the Bible uses the concept hope, has no dealing with uncertainty at all. In fact, it is rooted in absolute certainty and truth. 
The Bible has the idea of something that is absolutely true but yet unrealized. You, you could say it this way. Hope would be defined as this biblically. Absolute certainty of what the future holds rooted in the unwavering character and unchanging promises of God. Now that's genuine hope. Point for you and me this morning is believers walking going into 2022, our hope that we live out, our hope that we're rooting in should be drastically different than what the world has. Because we have a hope that is unwavering, unchanging, rooted in the unchanging character and the promises of God. Give you some examples. Psalm 71.5 says this, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Matthew 12.21 says, In his name, heard about that a few weeks ago from Pastor Daniel, in his name, who he is, all that is true of him, the nations will put their hope. First Timothy, Paul writes, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, I love this, who is our hope? One of the purposes of Advent is always to look back in who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished. One of the roles of Advent in the rhythm and the life of the church is always to, also to look ahead. And to ask the question, where is our hope? Is your hope on something that's uncertain? Is your hope on something that's a maybe? Or are we continually rooting ourselves, grounding ourselves in the character and the promises of who our God is going into a brand new year? Ours is not to be an earthly hope rooted in maybes. Ours is to be a God-like hope rooted in absolute certainty of the character of our God and the promises of his word. Paul says it this way, Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, I love this, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We are to live and model and be characterized by a different kind of hope than what the world has, not rooted in uncertainty, but in the absolute reality of the character of God and the promises of his word. Amen? Two of you. Amen? Now, Jesus' followers of all the people on earth are to abound in hope. Now listen, that's not glib optimism. That is an unshakable, confident, absolute assurance of the future rooted in what God has promised. Now, Larry said something earlier that I think is really important for us to recognize. This kind of unshakable hope for the believer does not mean that in this life we will not face disappointments. It does not mean in this life currently you will not face fears. It does not mean in this life that things are always going to turn out the way you expect, the way you want. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, Proverbs says. We all know in this life we have certain expectations that are unfulfilled or certain things that don't go our way. But when it comes to our ultimate grounding and our ultimate hope, that is to be in something unshakable and absolute certain character promises of God Almighty. 
Coming out of this Advent series, we want to root our hope in who Jesus is. Here's the big truth for this morning. We've, through Advent, we've seen that Jesus is the Word. We've looked at that Jesus is fully God. We saw that Jesus is fully man. And this morning, for just a few minutes, we're going to look at this reality, this big truth. Jesus is our only hope. He is our ultimate hope, brothers and sisters. Now, I want to walk through just a few verses. John 1, I'm going to review a little bit. I'm going to read through the scriptures. I'm going to start in verse 1. We've covered this this month. I know a lot of you are sitting this to memory, memorizing this great section. So let me just walk through these verses, a little bit of review. Then I'll give you a few big ideas that flow out of that this morning. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. You remember we've talked about that, John and his account of the Christmas story, if you will, the incarnation. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Before there was anything, there was the Word. Jesus is the Word. He has existed forever and ever. And not only has He existed forever, He's existed as God forever and ever and ever. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This triune reality that Jesus was at the very same time with God and was God. We worship a triune God, one God existing in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We worship a triune God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. I love this. And without Him was not anything that was made. We saw Jesus as the very agent of creation. We saw Jesus revealed to be the sustainer of all of creation. Our hope is in the one who spoke and everything came into being. Our hope is in the one who holds all things together by the power of his word, Hebrews says. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Verse 4, in him Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines. Present tense is shining in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We saw these truths of who Jesus is. Come on down to verse 9. Continue on. The apostle writes, the true light, as opposed to false lights, as opposed to false hopes, he says the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now these are some heavy verses here. And I'm going to be honest, if you read these verses in the context, these are some of the most gut-wrenching verses in the Bible of these realities. Listen to verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world did not know him. Continues on. Verse 11, he came to his own, speaking of the incarnation, speaking of Jesus taking on human flesh, being born as a Jew, coming among his people, the Jewish people. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. The most tragic verses in the Bible, here you see the rejection of the Jewish people of their promised Messiah. But that rejection by the Jewish people leads to verse 12. But... To all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's a hallelujah statement for you and I this morning. Even though he came into his own and his own received him not, he came and walked among men and the majority rejected him. To those who believe, to those who by the grace of God their eyes are open, to us who believe we have been given the right. We don't deserve it. We sure hadn't earned it. To be declared children of God. Continues on. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A supernatural rebirth to be born again by the grace of God. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, it's an incredible passage. So this morning, I want to wrestle with just this big truth that Jesus is our only hope. I'm going to give you three big ideas that flow out of that this morning. So big idea number one coming right out of these verses is this. There is one true Savior, and there are many false saviors. One of the realities that jumps off the page at this is there are, there's one true light implying that there are many false lights. There are many false saviors. Verse 9, there was the true, genuine, the, the real light that came into the world as opposed to the false sources of hope in the world. Coming into the world enlightens every man. There are plenty of false lights, unreliable and insufficient sources of ultimate hope. That's true for the world that doesn't know Christ, who are looking for hope in a thousand different things. There's only one source of true hope. But listen, that can be true for us as believers who begin to drift, we begin to stray, and we begin to subtly put our hope in lesser things and wonder why we're continually coming up with disappointment. There are things we can long for. There are things we can want. But when we begin to put our ultimate hope as believers in lesser things than the person and the promises of Christ, we will be dissatisfied. We will be disappointed. We will be grieved. And our hope will be just like the world's hope in things that do not satisfy and cannot fulfill. Let me give you some illustrations. I was reading this week. These, these are some of the heavily promoted in our culture through media and commercials and all the things. These are some of the things that are heavily promoted and false sources of hope in our culture. Here's just a few. We hear that we can put our hope in stuff. We've heard a lot about that. Here's what that means. That my future is brighter with that next purchase. Oh, man, if I could just get that next purchase, then my future is going to be just a little bit brighter. We are constantly bombarded, whether you know it or not, with this hope and stuff, more stuff, newer stuff, nicer stuff. We put our hope in success, that the future will be brighter with my next promotion. Is there anything wrong with promotion? No. Strive for promotion. Strive for success, yes, but not your ultimate source of hope. The notion that my future is brighter and my heart will be more stable and I will have greater joy only if I have that next promotion apart from the true hope that is in Jesus will be a dissatisfying hope. And we are constantly bombarded with that. Here's one that we hear a lot today is this hope is found, watch this, (laughs) our hope is found within. Our hope is found within. 
And here's true life. We are to look within ourselves to find that unique human spark. And then we can be our authentic self. My goal is to be my authentic self. And you let me be my authentic self. Truth and hope are found within. Listen, beloved, that's the generation we live in. Truth is not found within. Truth is found in the revealed word of God without us. That hope is a false hope. Here's one that many of us can relate to. Hope is found in romance. Now, is there anything wrong with romance? Absolutely not. It's a good thing. I'm a fan. But your ultimate hope is not found in romance. I'm quoting here from an author who's reading this week. He says this, modern movies, songs, from Beauty and the Beast to Taylor Swift. Tell us the story of finding true love and ultimate hope if we can just find the one and then it will be heaven on earth happily ever after. Anything wrong with romance? Absolutely not, but it's not your ultimate hope. That one, if you're a single, is a gift from God. Yes, walk with God, trust God, pursue that. Yes, but it's not your ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope can be in nothing less than the character and the person of who Jesus Christ is and the promises given to us in his word that are unchanging and unshakable. We are to abound in that kind of hope. There was the true light, and there are many false lights according to John 1.9. In Christ, there's an enduring hope. As opposed to that, here's what the Word of God says. Psalm 146, verse 5. A lot of these are not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read these to you. As opposed to the false hopes, here's what Scripture says. Psalm 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessings. Psalm 147, verse 11. But the Lord takes pleasure. The Lord is delighted in something. I love this verse. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness that is unchanging. God delights in those who trust in his unfailing love. Romans 15.4, this is a practical help in this, says this. For whatever was written in former days, the scriptures were written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. How do you practically gain that hope? You look within? No. You look to the revealed word of God and we saturate our minds and our hearts with the word of God. And that is where we find our endurance and our hope by continually reminding ourselves of the character and the promises of God can't wait for next year. I'll say more about this later, but we're going to dive into 1 Peter and walk through the letters of Peter throughout 2022 as a church family. I'm so excited about that. The encouragement and the hope that comes from the Word of God. Titus 3.7 says, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Eternal life for the believer is not a maybe. It's not a hope it works out. It is an absolute assurance rooted in the promises and the character of Jesus. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, beloved, the hope of glory. Christ in you, 
the promise and the hope and the assurance of future glory that is yours and mine, Christ in us. And again, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Where's your hope this morning? Where's your hope this morning? Is your life abounding in a maybe? It might be. Oh, I wish. Or what is absolute, unshakable, unchanging character and promises of God Almighty. Amen. Jesus Christ is our only hope. There is one true Savior and many false saviors. Let me give you a second big idea quickly is this. We read in these verses another big idea that flows out, is particularly in verse 11. It's this, everyone will either reject Jesus or believe in him. Everyone will either reject Jesus or believe in him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now, there's a lot in this verse. In this one verse, you see the glory of the true light. He, he comes to his own. You also, at the same time, see the blinding power of sin and the capacity of sin to blind and enslave a soul in darkness. He came to his own. He walked among his people. The incredible revelation of who he was. And his own did not receive him. I don't know about you, but I've got to read that. I, I just got to scratch my head for a minute and think, oh, how, in the, how did that happen? How could the promised Messiah come, walk among his people, reveal himself in so many ways? And that's a theme throughout the Gospel of John, by the way, is the incredible signs that were revealed by the Messiah and yet rejection by his own people. How does that happen? I'll give you a couple thoughts. John 3.19 says it this way. And this is judgment, Jesus says. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's a reality of human nature left to ourselves that comes out of this. The depth of human depravity is that this, left to ourselves, we run from the light. Do you know that? I mean, we're left to ourselves, apart from the grace of God that's intervened into our lives, left to yourself, you will always run from the light. And even as believers, the spirit of Jesus living inside of us and the communion of the saints and the word of God, there are times walking in the flesh instead of the will of God, the word of God, we will run from the light, right? We would rather hear something that's not quite true. We would rather hear what we want to hear than what is absolutely true. Just know this verse reveals left to ourselves, we will run from the light. Beware. Jesus came to his own. And they ran from the light because it says their deeds were evil. Their eyes were blinded. John 12, 46 helps us with this a little bit too. It says, Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 9, 41 says, speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were rejecting him, who were wanting to stone him. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What in the world does that mean? Help me. That means there's a couple of realities about our depravity. We just said one. Left to ourselves, we'll run from the light. Second one is this. The depth of human depravity is this. Left to ourselves, we are blind to our own blindness. 
Jesus said to these religious leaders, he says, listen, if you had acknowledged and realized your blindness, then you would have had sight. But because you say in your pride and arrogance, oh, no, we got it. I can see. I got everything. I'm, I'm, I'm such a good person. The thing that strikes me about this really quick in this verse is this was given to a highly religious culture who in their day, if you'd ask them, man, we are the righteous ones. And Jesus said, you're not even aware of your own blindness. You're blind to your own blindness. Everyone either receives or rejects Jesus. You come to that verse 11, he came to his own, his own received him not. You stop there, that's a sad story. But then you come to verse 12, but... For the grace of God, verse 12, but for the grace of God, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. What does it mean to receive? It's not just a mental ascent. It's not just a checking of a box. It's not just a, well, yeah, I kind of agree with that. To all who received him, Christ, who believe in his name. Circle a couple phrases there, believe. John uses that word of this action of turning from my sin, turning from myself, and receiving this believing, putting all of my faith, all of my confidence, all of my hope in all of who Jesus is, his name, as he has revealed himself to be. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, I love this, he gave, that's an act of grace, He gave the right to become children of God. And in the midst of this rejection and in the midst of this walking in darkness, the grace of God appears in Christ and the grace of God opens the eyes and the outcome of that is those who believe have the right to become children of God, receive a new identity, a new family, a new future, a new relationship with God and His people, the grace of God. Fully realized in the God-man coming and dwelling among us. Jesus Christ, full of grace, full of truth. Third big idea quickly, how does this new identity happen? I want you to see this. There's a glorious concept here that's somewhat subtle, and I want you to see it this morning. Big idea number three is this. Salvation through Jesus requires new birth. It's new birth. He says it this way, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now listen to verse 13. Verse 13 is a highly offensive verse to a Jewish person. He says this new birth, this right to be called the children of God, this right to be called the people of God, he says, is not based on your birth, not of not, not those who were born. In other words, it's not rooted in your birth as a Jewish person. It's not of your blood, not your ethnicity, not the will of your flesh, not based on your good works, not the will of man, but of God. A supernatural work of God to take one who was dead and make that one alive. To take one who was blind and through Christ and the word of God to open eyes and give life. It is a new birth and it is of God. If you're here and you're born again this morning, just know that it is a miraculous work of God that brought you out of your own depth of darkness, out of your own desire to seek darkness and has opened your eyes that you can see Jesus for who he is and believe in him. And now you're a child of the king. Hallelujah, what a savior. Grace 
God. Our hope is in the one who transforms us from death to life. Salvation, becoming a child of God, is nothing less than a miraculous new birth, a supernatural work of God. Jesus explained it this way, John 3, to Nicodemus, one of the the, the leaders, one of the Pharisees who came to him was trying to get his mind around this. Jesus said, listen, verse 3 of John 3, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, new birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's kind of a double reality in this. Again, to the Jewish person, they're like, no, I'm good because I was born a Jew. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't put your hope in your natural birth, your ethnicity, your background, your heritage. You must be born of God, of the Spirit of God. There must be a rebirth in you. Titus 3.5 says it this way. He saved us, not based on works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Your hope is in the one who by faith and turning from your sin made you new. You are a new creation in Christ. There is a new birth. It is called being born again. Have you been born again? And to those that have been born again, there is a sure and certain hope of glory because Christ is in you. Hallelujah. Now, as you read this, it's interesting. There are several parallels, and I I just want to chase this really quick. There are several parallels in John 1 to creation. In other words, Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus spoke all things into being. There's There's this theme of creation being pulled through. In your new birth and the new birth of a child of God, of a believer, there's a reference back to creation in the same way. Say, how so? Listen to this. The one who spoke into the darkness and chaos of Genesis 1 and created light and life is the same one who speaks through his word into darkened hearts and open blind eyes to see. Here's the takeaway I want you to hear. Salvation of a soul taken from death to life, taken from darkness to light, is just as glorious a miracle as creation itself. And if you've experienced that by faith, trusting in Jesus and who he is alone, that is worthy of your praise, worthy of your life, and you can set your hope in who Jesus is and what Jesus has promised in his word. Jesus is our only hope. In him is absolute certainty of what the future holds, rooted in the unwavering character and unchanging promises of God. So, Pastor Mike, I I think I'm kind of a hopeful person. I, I understand today that that hope is more than a maybe. As a believer, hope is to be rooted in the the character and the word and the unchanging promises of God. I, I get that, but what if the world around us is unraveling? And what if my personal life seems to be unrest, unraveling? And, and, and what, if it, what if the day is that naming the name of Jesus begins to cost us something? And by the way, that's where we're headed. 
The Apostle Peter takes this whole idea of being reborn and this idea of hope and he writes a whole letter about it wrapped around this living hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We as a church, I mentioned it earlier, are going to walk through 1 Peter and the theme that we're giving 1 Peter, this is just how we're going to wrap up the message this morning, is this, is a living hope. You see, Peter is writing to a group of believers who are scattered throughout the world and it appears that they are hopeless if they fix their hope on the unchangeable things of the world. They're losing their status in the world. No one wants to be associated. They're being persecuted by the authorities. It's costing them something to follow Jesus and to name the name of Jesus. And Peter pulls a thread from the beginning of 1 Peter all the way through the end of the, of the letter that we're going to look at next year of a living hope. You see, genuine hope reveals itself when everything around us looks hopeless. <laughs> and everything seems to be unraveling. And Peter takes this, and I want you to see this. I'm going to show you three quick verses in Peter, then we're going to move in to the Lord's Supper. Uh, by the way, we're going to start that next week. Uh, we're going to go verse by verse through Peter. I think Daniel said this a few weeks ago. For those of you who think we went really, really too quick through Matthew, maybe that's true to a point. Maybe you're going to love First Peter. Next week, here's what we're going to focus on. Peter, one word. <laughs> Peter, first Peter, one more. And we're going to walk verse by verse through 1 Peter. Your reading plans are available today. You can get those online. I encourage you to get that. They should be available at all the exits. Pick that, pick that up and we'll start reading, walking, studying through this great uh, letter of 1 Peter and then 2 Peter next year. So what does Peter say about hope? Quickly, and this will be, the team can come on up and just begin to play. Here's what 1 Peter says, verse 3. Larry read this earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. There's that theme again. To a living hope. Peter says the hope that you have is not a maybe, it's not a might be, it is a living hope of the future. Your future glorification in Christ, your future inheritance, your future reigning with Him is rooted in the reality of Christ's crucifixion, His resurrection, as a picture of your future resurrection in Christ. Here's the point. Beloved, you have an absolute living hope. And that living hope is just as alive as Jesus Christ is very alive. We have a hope. Abound in hope. Then he goes on. He says this. Look at verse 13 very quickly. I'll read this to you. He says, therefore, because you have this kind of hope, prepare your minds for action. Saturate your mind with truth. Be sober-minded. Don't be dissuaded by the things of the world. Don't chase these false saviors. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus has promised to you and me about our ultimate future redemption will be completely fulfilled when He returns. There is grace that will be ours and fully known when Christ returns. We set our hope on the return of our King. It's not a maybe. It's an absolute certainty. And then finally, 1 Peter 3 says this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
Even if everything's unraveling around you, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. No matter if things are unraveling, no matter if it costs us, no matter if we're being called every name in the book, no matter if it costs us jobs, if it costs us status, whatever it may cost us, there is to be an abounding hope rooted in something that doesn't change. And the world is to look and go, why in the world is your hope so steady and sure and unshakable? And you can say, my hope is in the King Jesus who came, died, rose from the dead. And you can know this hope too. Be ready. Give a defense of the hope that is within you. Where's your hope? Where's our hope? Advent is designed as a rhythm of the church to look back. It's also designed as a rhythm of the church to look forward. Another gift that the Lord has given to His church to do this is the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that this morning as a church family. just want you to kind of prepare for that and I want to remind you that the Lord's Supper in the same way is a call to remember when we take the cup and we take the bread in just a minute Jesus told his disciples that this is to to be a remembrance of his body his blood given for us and at the same time it's to be an examination of our heart we say this every time as you prepare for the Lord's Supper in just a minute I'm going to invite you to Take a few minutes of worship before the Lord, of personal examination. Is there anything between you and me, Father, that I need to confess, I need to make right? What are those false saviors I've been chasing? Maybe something between you and a brother you need to make right, whatever that may be. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper is also an expression of hope. He says this, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until he comes. We take the Lord's Supper in hope, not a maybe, waiting until our King returns again. The Lord's Supper is an act of demonstration of hope. We're trusting in that day that our King will return. So I want to invite you just to bow your head right there where you're seated. Take a minute to prepare to take the Lord's Supper if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, we invite you to partake in this. If you're not a member of our church and you know the Lord, we invite you to be a part of this as well. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's Supper is not for you. We would love to speak with you this morning about what it means to come and know to come to know the Lord as Savior and King. Parents, if you're here, your children are with you and they know the Lord, we invite them to take part. But if they have not come to repentance and faith, the Lord's Supper is not for them. It's a good opportunity for you to have a conversation with your children. But this time, I want you to take a minute right there before the Lord. Examination, confession, repentance. And in just a minute, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. If you need to slip out and grab one of those cups, feel free to do that right now.